guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey, Jeff, what if instead of getting paid through ads, we just ask people for money? <laughs> Wait, we're getting paid? Is that how you bought a new flat screen TV? <laughs> uh, today's show, we're talking about Patreon, a membership platform for creators. Yeah, so, so what is Patreon? Um, Patreon is a platform that helps independent content creators really build a career through making their content. So Patreon helps these content creators uh, get paid and manage the relationships with their patrons or rather their membership subscribers. Uh, a really nice analogy to crystallize this for me was uh, TechCrunch's Eric Peckham said that Patreon is like a talent agent that helps manage and bring business to an actor or artist, uh, which I think is a really good way to describe what the, what the platform's trying to do. And in terms of how Patreon makes money, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, they have different pricing tiers and different structures based on uh, like how many subscribers you have or what percentage you want to pay. Uh, but really what it boils down to in simple terms is they charge a 10% fee to all creators that use the service. A nice way to simplify this is if you made $200,000 in revenue last year as a creator, Patreon is going to take 10% or roughly $20,000 annually. And if you look at where that revenue goes, it goes 5% to payment processing, uh, 5% for access to the Patreon uh, platform. And like I mentioned, there's you know three different tiers that Patreon has. They have the light, the pro, and the premium at 5%, 8%, and 12% of the, the monthly income, but various different levels of service that Patreon provides. The, the, the top tier premium plan, what you get there is you get dedicated coaching um, and support for established creators and creative businesses, plus like extra premium features that help uh, save you time and reward your, your patrons. Sorry, your patrons. Oh, I can't say that word. <laughs> patrons, not <laughs> Patreons. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. So there's a great article that I love and we can put in the show notes called A Thousand True Fans by Kevin Kelly. And basically, Kevin Kelly is a technologist that's been writing about technology for years. And this his article is, it talks about, you know, in order to make a million dollars, all you need is a thousand true fans all willing to pay a hundred dollars each. Hmm. And I think Patreon's a really nice way to see that where they're really connecting, you know, this phenomenon of content creation that you're seeing from YouTubers to, you know, podcasters like us creating content uh, and being able to monetize that. So Patreon's really, you know, fulfilling Kevin Kelly's <laughs> prophecy of just getting a thousand true fans and um, monetizing them. So I think it, it think it's really interesting. Yeah, I want to talk about the transformation of content creation over the years, because I think it's been really, really interesting. So prior to the internet, the only real way to content create was basically, maybe you would write in an article to the newspaper, or you would like publish your own book, which isn't easy to do either. There wasn't a real good way to publish content. When the internet started to become more popular, I think people gravitated towards personal blogs. Um, and mm -hmm. I think personal blogs is still something around today. You think of GeoCities, the earlier personal blogs, <laughs> and then moving on to things like WordPress that got even simpler to create with Squarespace and other website creator type tools. And then you started to see video content like YouTube start to spring up, music content like SoundCloud. DJ um, Jeff Lee, got to give him the shout out. Exactly. Yeah. I basically just like take regular music and I just slow it down 50% and I repost it. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's really interesting how content creation has grown over the years. And now you're also seeing things like streams. So like live streams, VOD, uh, which is video on demand and different people posting different types of content 
uh, across different platforms. Patreon, I think, is a little interesting because it focuses primarily on artists. So when I think of Patreon, I think mostly of the traditional artists that are creating like real you know, art, whether that is digital art or paintings or things like that, and also music. Traditional art seems to be gig-based. So like I create a piece and I sell that piece. But Patreon is more like, how do I make sure that I get recurring revenue so that it becomes more of like a job, almost like a salary to just continue creating art and continue providing um, this content to people that are interested in the things that I'm creating. Totally. It's, it's, it's really interesting where like everyone's moving to subscription revenue mm-hmm. and including subscribers, sorry, including artists. So, you know, before you would sell this like big, if you're a musician, you sign a record, li- record label and get a big advance. And like, that would be your um, big, you know, chunk of change. And now like Patreon's trying to just, Hey, like well, let's parse that out into monthly payments for <laughs> recurring revenue. So it, it's interesting how they provide that platform. I like that you mentioned that because the record label business model has been scrutinized by a lot of people. Record labels take a large chunk out of uh, any record deal. And so you're seeing a lot of people actually not sign record deals and be anti-record label because they want to control their narrative, produce the music that they want to produce. Sometimes if you sign with a record label, they get all the rights, they get to kind of control what you want to say, etc. I think one really good example of a successful artist that didn't sign with a record label and famously did not sign with record labels is Chance the Rapper. He has been anti-record label and it's even in his music that he's anti-record label. He's kind of this homegrown talent and wants to control his narrative and knows that he brings a lot of value and wants to hold the cards by saying, no, I'm not going to sign away you know, up to 50, 60% of, of my music and my own content towards somebody else that is just providing the platform for me. I love how content becomes meta <laughs> like that. Like mm-hmm. I think like Macklemore is like another good example of just like rapping about just shitting on previous record labels or just bad deals. And so it's just this like self-fulfilling prophecy where like you're so angry about the experience of not getting paid or getting ripped off that you're just going to, you know, sing about it and make even more money off like <laughs> the other songs that you're, you're saying. So um, it's interesting. I didn't know that about Chance the Rapper. Yeah. Another rapper that I'm thinking about now is so T-Pain, whenever he signed a deal with Akon, he was going to buy you a drink. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he was he was talking about all these record labels were offering him. I can't remember what song it was for, but they're offering him. I think it was like a million dollar deal for rights to the song, but they're offering him a large sum of money. And uh, T-Pain is from Tallahassee. And I think he came from a household that didn't have a lot of money. And so it's really hard for people to turn down that level of money. But Akon was like a fledgling, I wouldn't call him a label, but he was, he was basically telling T-Pain, I can only give you like, I think it was like 20 grand or like a small sum of money, but I'll give you a career. Um, I'm I'm basically not just giving you money for this one song, which might be a flash in the pan, but I'm going to make you into a businessman and I'm going to teach you how to fish. And so obviously T-Pain has since had a long stretch of a lot of success, had put out song over song over song that was really popular. And I think Akon was basically saying, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to let you control your narrative and your content. And you're going to probably make more in the long term because of that. So Um, I love that. It's kind of like taking that long-term philosophy to your music career or to your content career. You know, I think 
I think how it's been sold in the past has just been like that, you know, hit, like do one thing, hit it big and like you're, that, that's it. Right. And what services like Patreon or just even like the Akon T-Pain story is like, hey, like let's, let's do a slow burn. You know, let's, let's think long term. You're not going to get a huge chunk of change up front, but you're going to get that slow, you're going to get a bigger share of your future revenues. So I think it's just creating or like giving patience to all these creators so I just think it's 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 really fascinating to to have that ability to to be patient and have this revenue coming in and also just the confidence in yourself as a as a creator like T Pain did. So it's that's a really cool anecdote. This also happens to be a rap anecdote. Is that I think it was Ti and I can't remember if it was Kodak Black or maybe it's somebody else. But th- basically, there was a deal on the table for a million dollars, and I think Ti turned them down. And then they were on a podcast recently. I think it was TI's podcast. And he was like, aren't you glad that I didn't give you that million dollars? <laughs> because basically he made 10, 20, 100 fold more than than what that million dollars was going to mean. Um, and he actually went and hustled. And I think that was just TI basically saying like, trying to make it sound like it was a lesson learned, but really he probably didn't <laughs> like, you know, didn't want him on his label at the time. But I just think it's interesting. There's going to be a lot of companies that try to take advantage of the fact that they have the platform and that's the only real value they're providing is the network but you know at the end of the day the the control of the content should be in the content creator's hands and that's what patreon's trying to do more so for the masses and bringing the barriers down obviously most of these people aren't like record label type people they're probably a lot of indie artists but the intent here is to you know push the creation I guess, marketing and the platform down to the homegrown creators and just seeing if they can grow their own craft and not have to worry about signing away their successes to someone that's already have their pockets lined. For sure. And I I think what I'm taking out of this, Jeff, is that we should just become rappers and (laughs) we should just start rapping about... The the play is become rappers and turn down any deals. And then (laughs) clearly we're going to become super, super rich. I think that's the playbook. So I love it. All right. See you guys later. Uh, this end of this episode. No. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's really interesting how content creation has kind of changed over time. Let's talk about how Patreon came to be because I think it's really interesting. So Patreon was founded in 2013 by Sam Yam and Jack Conti. Jack Conti is someone who's kind of interesting. He was a musician who graduated from Stanford, which isn't something that you typically hear about is like people that study music at Stanford. Um, rags to riches, man. <laughs> That's where it all starts. Stanford I, musicians. I won't call it rags by any means. I grew <laughs> up in Marin County, which is a pretty affluent area. But he started a band called Pomplamoose, which is a great name, with his now wife, Natalie Dawn. So he was a musician, went to Stanford, studied music, but they ended up coming back and creating a technology startup, which goes to show that like a lot of people that end up at Stanford, like they have a track record of like, let's just start a technology company around this, this random thing. <laughs> For um, sure. You like music? done <laughs> yeah he was like oh man music isn't doing it for me i'm not making enough money why don't i just start a, a tech company that's always gonna gonna bring in money i think what's interesting about patreon is that they have a very interesting ratio of creators to patrons in the first 18 months they signed 125,000 patrons which doesn't sound like a lot of people like a lot of users like your first year you sign up about 100k people but i think going back to your anecdote about a thousand true fans holds true here it's not necessarily mm-hmm. about quantity versus quality you're producing for like a small set of niche rabid fans and that results in a lot more recurring revenue it's more stable you know these people like what you're putting out i think that is more important than just sheer numbers Um, totally 100 percent agree and like I, i feel like the first time i ever gave to money to someone was for 
Alt-Shift-X, their YouTube channel that has really awesome breakdowns of Game of Thrones. And I was just a rabid Game of Thrones fan. And I was like, they were putting out really good content of just explaining what happened in episodes. And it was really robust with like all the different characters. Mm -hmm. And anyone that knows Game of Thrones, there's a ton of characters. So there's really good like ways to break it down. And I I felt very happy to support all shift x because there was just all of this amazing content and i wanted them to continue making that to because it was part of my viewing experience of game of thrones where yeah. i would watch game of thrones and then watch the uh, what is season five episode four like what really what means, does this you mean know? yeah I- exactly what is um, the significance so, compared to the book which i didn't read so <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it, exactly but um i i feel like it's really interesting where like i, I wanted to as a viewer as a patron i really wanted to uh enable this really awesome content and I was willing to to pay for it. Yeah, I draw a lot of parallels to like the freemium model because for a lot of people, it's what am I paying and what am I getting out of it? And if I'm getting a lot of value out of it, does it feel like I'm paying a lot of money? So for example, a video game, most MSRP video games are like $60 and you, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I going to get $60 worth of uh, content out of it? It might sound like it's a lot of money, but if you're playing that game for two or three years, it's actually... A very good deal and this a similar thing goes for freemium models so if you're uh, playing a free-to-play game and you decide to buy a skin for like ten dollars one part of you is like well it's free why would I pay extra money but the other part of you is like well you know I'm playing this game a lot I'm getting a ton of value out of this game ten dollars is cheap compared to what I get out of the game so I'll continue to support and then what ends up happening is you do that over and over because you think I'm still playing this game I'm still getting value out of this game I want to buy skins or I want to buy this little quality of life thing. And I think that this is going to help support the game. The game is going to still be around and I'm going to still enjoy playing this game. An example for me in particular was this game League of Legends, which a lot of people probably know about. League of Legends has been around since I think 2009, 2010. And I played the game for about eight or nine years. Over the lifetime of the game, I probably spent a couple hundred dollars on the game. Which if you just say it like that sounds like a lot, but if you spread it over 10 years, you might be paying $50 a year, $20 to $50 a year. And it's really not that much considering I poured hours and hours into the game. Somewhere on the internet is a calculator of how many (laughs) hours you've played in the game. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Actually, I was going to say, you you don't have to publicly share how many hours. I want to say that I had played like, I don't know if this is accurate but like i wanted to say i played something on the order of like a year worth of gaming time like wow. over 10 your parents years must be so proud jeff so like a tenth of my time was spent playing <laughs> i mean you just play like 10 hours at a time especially in college so yeah totally was, no, t- totally man yeah and I, I definitely feel you on that and my mental model for entertainment value is still anchored to roughly 10 bucks an hour and i get that from like movies like i remember mm-hmm. going to movies when i was you know, in seventh grade, like I would, you know, have $10 of hard earned money and I'd be willing to sit in a movie theater for like an hour or two. And so that's like how I like do stuff. So you describing a mobile phone freemium game was my entire Friday. So I, yeah. I just got my second dose of the COVID vaccine. Um, thank you to all the scientists out there that and everyone that worked on that, by yes, the way, thank little, you. <laughs> little, little anecdote. But I was out for the count for my second vaccine and I actually spent, I probably dropped like $20 on a, on a stupid mobile game um, just because like, I'm like, Hey, you know, it's like, I'm just sitting on the couch. I just need to relax. And like, I'm more than willing to pay for like, like the, the 10, $20 um, in, in little increments. Cause I'm still getting value out of it. Um, so a hundred percent agree with like, you know, 
it seems like a lot of money in aggregate where mm-hmm. and i think that you know reversing it where we talked about like where akon or t-pain were getting a million dollars up front that's kind of like what it is with like a lot of video games are moving away from where mm-hmm. it's like you're yeah. not paying that big sixty seventy dollar yeah. chunk up front you're going into like little it's it's definitely recurring intra- yeah recurring and, and you're not looking at it from a business perspective, the way that I would at least look at this is that you're not looking at it as uh, like a single transactional. It's it's like less transactional. It's more of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's the lifetime value of that customer is like, hey, we could get, you know, more customers up front to pay, you know, $50 or we could eat like, or sorry, we can get less customers to pay $50 up front and have that cash. But we know that customers are actually more va- valuable if we continue to provide value for yep. them and just extend that. So yeah. it's... It's definitely it's definitely brilliant by Patreon to start being that platform. Yeah, lifetime value for sure is super interesting, and also th- this idea of recurring. Like you can plan much better if you know that hey, every month I'm going to get X dollars or roughly X dollars versus like I'm going to get a chunk at the beginning of the year, and I don't know if I'm going to get the same chunk the next year, and I ha- have to like split it out. Um, so yeah, it's going to help people become more like habitual and regular. And I loved how like you and I like lived through that. You know, so Jeff and I both we we worked at Autodesk together and we were part of the transition mm-hmm. from like perpetual licensing, which is essentially that, you know, business model where you pay a hundred dollars and you get the software for for forever to a subscription model. So it, we like lived through that whole transition of Autodesk. So it's, it's fascinating that it's, it's not just going from software, but it's also just even from content. So it's, uh, it's definitely more valuable than, than single time use. Yeah. It's definitely all about value chain, regardless of what industry or what type of value you're getting. In late 2014, patrons were sending about a million dollars to content creators monthly. So that's pretty awesome. So it means that, you know, the patrons were actually paying these creators a large sum of money. And remember, at this point, roughly 100,000 patrons. So each of them are making, do the quick head math here, but I guess like $10 a month on average, right? For, For somebody that's just kind of doing this thing on the side. By 2017, $100 million had been sent to creators since inception. So that's, again, really cool. Like these people are now seeing Patreon as a actual source of income. And then also in late 2017, there were 50,000 active creators and 1 million uh, monthly patrons. I think that's really interesting. So there is a pretty big discrepancy in the number of creators versus the people that are consuming the content. Patreon isn't aiming to like pull all the creators onto their platform. They're aiming to pull these like very targeted set of active creators with really loyal followings, I guess. Like they're not, again, they're not going for volume play, right? Like whereas YouTube and I think Twitch, anybody can create these channels. They might have like one or two videos that are being monetized or a small set of subscribers that are paying or, or contributing to their platform. But here again, Patreon is mostly focused on quality and they're focusing on a small subset of, of creators that are providing a lot of value. And then because of that, there are these monthly patrons that are committing money towards uh, their art or their craft over a long time. It's not about volume play, right? It's not about ads. It's not about creating money that way, but it's more about like, hey, there's these, again, thousand true fans that are really interested in what you're putting together and wanting to make sure that you continue to provide that value. Yeah, I, I totally agree where it's it's all about quality here. Um, and it's they, like you said, they've, they've had a ton of success. Another thing to mention is that it sounds like for a lot of people that are considering contributing towards a creator, it's usually like luxury um, type things, right? So like if you have the extra cash, 
you're going to be more likely to provide for this creator or provide some sort of um, monetary value back to this creator in exchange for this like content that they're creating. And again, like you and I think of it as like, oh, what is worth our time? Is this entertainment worth the value that we are exchanging? I don't think that's the case for people that don't have the luxury of providing monetary value. So I'll give an example. So YouTube, anybody can watch a YouTube video and yep. uh, those numbers, that, that's basically free to the content consumer that goes up. And then basically what ends up happening is uh, it's paid for by ads. So it's a volume play. In this case, this is mostly geared towards or targeted towards the people that have a little bit of extra luxury money set aside for entertainment purposes and that they're willing to commit to these Patreon creators. So again, a little bit of a different model, but you know, it's focused on a smaller number of people uh, for a higher average subscription cost. I want to talk a little bit about this exodus of people from YouTube to Patreon. So if you remember a couple of years ago, YouTube changed their algorithms and their monetization model, and it really ruffled a lot of feathers for some people. And I saw a lot of people actually moving away from YouTube totally. towards Patreon. I think today it's kind of evened out where people have both a YouTube and then have a Patreon for maybe like exclusive content. Most people, they're creating content that can be reutilized across platforms. So generally they try to maximize their exposure by being on YouTube, being on Patreon. If you have a TikTok, be on Instagram, use the same content, vice versa. So a lot of these people are reusing the same content. But at that time, there was an exodus from some of the other platforms towards Patreon because they were unhappy with how they were getting monetized. I love all like, and this is like back to like the rappers, like rapping about being pissed off about <laughs> record deals. It was all the YouTubers just posting YouTube videos about being pissed at YouTube, yep. which is like hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah. And meta, I just, I love stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So we can talk a little bit about who Patreon is for. I think we really simplified it here, but Patreon is for anyone making content. So it goes from YouTubers is a lot of uh, the people that we've talked about here. And I think that's primarily how people, you know, get their start into getting patrons is by building a YouTube audience um, and then start to monetize it uh, more significantly with more specific content. It also ranges from, from podcasters and also anyone else making online content. So this, it's really interesting looking at some of the most successful patrons here or P Patreon folks, according to the patreon.com uh, blog. But the, the most successful one is actually a, a podcast called the Chapo Trap House, where they actually have nearly 37,000 patrons that are uh, paying roughly $4 um, or $5 a month to just have access to a podcaster's archive of premium episodes, uh, which features stuff like guests um, from different guests that you want to get access to. Like It's very much like the freemium model that, that Jeff mm -hmm. and I talked about in, in video games. But overall, like that's the range of people that are being supportive. There's also some other pa Patreon folks or Patreon creators, like there's an artist that has over a million YouTube followers, but she has patrons get access to specific courses that she teaches. Mm -hmm. So it's another way to add value there. Um, but, you know, Jeff mentioned the growth that Patreon has seen. And so right now they support over 200,000 content creators using the platform today. And there's 6 million monthly active uh, people paying or patrons to all of these. So it's, uh, it's a great little um, ecosystem that Patreon has created. And I'm curious to see how it continues to grow, especially as they start to become more of a, a platform and also offer tools uh, for creators to, to help think about how they're going to monetize. There's all these blogs and different tips that Patreon has, like 
one of the articles that I'm like have up on my screen right now is like the six business models to use on Patreon today. So just like, you know, things like that is just being a thought leader for, for content creators thinking about how to start, you know, turning your content into, into a career. Let's talk about the competitors and the other people that are in a similar content creation space. So we've mentioned a couple of them here. YouTube is obviously a big one for video content creation. They mostly monetize around ads. Twitch is another one. They monetize around ads and subscriptions. I put OnlyFans on here because it's very similar to Patreon's model, except for obviously adult content. Then there's other project-based funding like Kickstarter and Indiegogo that's mostly around putting money towards one major goal or major milestone like a project so it could be creating a new app or a new product or in my case a board game it could be things like that so there's a ton of content creation platforms and those are a couple of the competitors that are similar to patreon yeah it's it's really interesting and i think like you have to like like we wouldn't be doing any service to the industry if we didn't mention OnlyFans. <laughs> like i know like jeff you and i have like always like joked about um it but it's like it, it is interesting where like the internet just allows for like ultimate segmentation of everything. So like you can literally get paid to do anything. I, I find it interesting where like when a, when a tweet goes, oh, sorry, I find it interesting when a tweet goes viral, for example, mm-hmm. someone will just put like their cash app. Yeah. So I almost think that's like a competitor or like, or Venmo. It's like, and it's just, it amazes me that people, you know, people are putting like the links to their cash app or Venmo because people are actually paying. I don't know what they're paying for, but they're just like, just for like the the thought. I, I, I guess I don't get that far. <laughs> like, I'm- Yeah, it's weird because I guess like Twitter in and of itself is monetized, but the people that use it, like you said, sometimes there's tweets that go viral and they're like, well, now I have 50,000 eyeballs. Like, can I just do something with these eyeballs? And yeah, so usually, yeah, usually it's like Cash App or like the joke is like, I don't have a SoundCloud, but <laughs> and then they... <laughs> They're like, donate to this cause or something. Sometimes they, they'll do something more philanthropic. But uh, yeah, like sometimes it's just like, if you're interested in supporting me as a person, like here's my cash app or here's my Venmo or whatever. Um, yeah. And and I think it's it's just really, really interesting. And it's I think it's going to continue, continue to evolve of just trying to figure out how to monetize things. And I think the cash app example is just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing, seeing what sticks. And it must work for, for, for some people. I think like the most, like another interesting one, just talking about content creation that I see a lot on Twitter is a viral tweet will happen and then a company will reach out to them to have a, a person pin their specific product as like the, uh, the person who, like, who had the viral tweet yeah. t- to be their pin tweet. And so you'll get like a link for like, I think I've seen like led lights before and it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause like you're like, it's, it's just another way to turn eyeballs into, into dollars that isn't necessarily uh, direct advertising. It's kind of like, bait and switch uh type of thing yeah so hit the lottery kids like write something or create something that's viral and then everyone's going to be reaching out to you to kind of get a piece of the eyeballs right (laughs) whether it's totally whether it's twitter or youtube or whatever it is so my my favorite youtuber of all time is casey neistat i don't know if you ever watched any of his stuff but casey talks talked a lot about this early on i think he had a vlog in 2015 2016 i actually watched it like every day or like religiously like Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and his whole thesis on the whole thing was just make good shit like and it will and like everything will come after that for sure and that and that's why i appreciate what what patreon's trying to do with just getting that really high quality Mm -hmm. from the the patrons that are willing to pay and also the the creators that are just putting out really good content so i think it's a nice way to close the loop 
So we should talk about our thoughts. So I've never used Patreon as a content creator, but I have used it as a um, as a as a patron. It was really easy. I don't really have like you know five star reviews evaluating the product from a, a tactical how I used it, but I can just talk about strategic strategically. I think that they found a really good niche. They're they're doing a really strong job of growing content creators and and providing more value to the creators. I really like the you know the talent agent type. <laughs> um, uh, analogy that I mentioned earlier, like when we started this show. But if I had to just sum everything up, I would say, you know, Patreon's probably like a, a, a f- just below four star product. I think it's like, you know, 3.9 stars out of five. I think that they're, yeah, doing a great job. So that's my quick summary uh, of a review without ever going onto the platform. But just from a strategic level, what they're doing, I, I think they're in the right direction. I'm in the same boat as you. I don't necessarily use Patreon or haven't used it personally. But I think I like the idea overall because what sets them apart from some of these other content platforms is that they're focusing on quality and it's allowing for artists to really take control of their content and set the bar. I think that's a good standard to have. I know it's not their main goal is like number of users or growth overall, but there is something to be said that it hasn't grown organically. And I think that's just a result of how popular their platform is. I think it is a very niche product, even for artists. I think most artists will go somewhere else and For example, they'll go to Fiverr and do this like one-off project type thing uh, where they sell art for for money or they will go to YouTube to create like consistent content that's going to be monetized over time. I don't think a lot of these people go to Patreon or they'll go to SoundCloud if they're musicians, right? So I'm not sure what Patreon does that other companies don't do. So that's why I'm not super convinced that Patreon specifically is the way to go. I think a lot of the times when I've seen creators that have Patreons, they already offer some level of free content on another platform that's way more accessible. And because they don't know what's behind the Patreon, it's hard for them to know, like, is it worth it for me to try out contributing to this Patreon for a month or subscribing for a month? So it's hard for people to kind of get in. I'm going to give a similar rating. I'm going to give it like a 3.7. I think it's a really good idea. I do think it would be Interesting to see if Patreon considers driving more traffic to their platform and lowering the quality bar just a little bit. Maybe that's against their mission and values. So I totally understand if they don't do that. But I do think, you know, you look at other companies like Twitch and you look at other companies like YouTube and how fast they've grown just by opening it up to letting anybody create content and seeing Mm -hmm. how successful that play has been. I do think it's a little bit too policed and too niche for them to grow at that scale and really become like a large artist subscription company that you know that these quality type creators are looking for so i'm giving it a 3.7 yeah i love it and my, and my last anecdote for this is just i think it's a really good like abstraction of like the marketing funnel mm-hmm. where you have like the upper funnel mid funnel lower funnel and this is like pure lower funnel it's yeah. like you know youtube would be like your upper funnel of just like as many eyeballs yep. as possible and like you know, Patreon is just really nailing down into that lower funnel of like, hey, who are actually the people that are going to start paying for this? So, yeah. and I think it's really hard to, you know, have really good visibility into that uh, upper funnel and, and what you can actually turn into to dollars and cents. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see what happens with Patreon over, over the coming years as, as more and more content uh, creates. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like they have really optimized around that final conversion rate instead of like the overall acquisition of users at the top of the funnel. So definitely agree there. 
Love it. Well, those are our thoughts on Patreon, and we would love to hear from you, our audience. You know, we love hearing uh, our Instagram uh, audience respond to our questions and our followers, and also the the Twitter comments are, are super helpful for helping us pick our next episodes and, and what we're going to talk about and what you what you like. So, uh, definitely feel free to reach out. You know, share share with us what you thought. Um, you can find us. Uh, on Instagram or Twitter um, at ProdX Podcast. That's P R O D E X Podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.